Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. Everybody has pet peeves, right? Uh, and we're not going to take time for you to talk about them because that, uh, that could get real nasty. Um, but uh, a lot of people have pet peeves around driving. Uh, a lot of people have pet peeves just around, mostly it's not their driving, mostly it's other people's driving, right? I wish I was a better driver is not mostly our concern. Um, but have you ever... Have you ever been stopped behind somebody at a stoplight? Or in Wisconsin, maybe just where I grew up, they were called stop-and-go lights. Um, have you ever been stopped at a light, and it turns green, and the person in front of you doesn't go? Yes. What do you do? Do you haunt? Or do you just kind of, like, pray for them? Be like, Lord, help them see, or whatever. Why, why are they not going? They're not looking, right? They're usually distracted. Uh, likely these days they're looking at their phone, they're looking at something, they're maybe messing with the radio. They're distracted, and they're, they don't see the sign in front of them, right? What would it change, though, to the situation if they did? What would it change if you knew what was going on in their mind was they were sitting there, the light turned green, and they thought, should I really go? I mean, how do I... How, do I, how can I be really confident that I'm supposed to go? I know the light turned green, but I would like a sign. I would like, I would like permission to go now. If God could show up and just say, go, and maybe that's where you feel like you become the God figure in the story. Right? Like, go! You have permission! It's green, and if it turns light before, or green, or yellow before I get there, we're going to have words, only you won't hear them. Right? <laughs> It changes something if people are looking at a green light and they think, should I? Uh, what should I do? We're going to talk about that because that happens to us a lot. Um, one of my favorite authors is a guy by the name of Erwin McManus. And he says, uh, he has this great quote. He says, much of our religious language has been focused on the don'ts rather than the do's. But what if the primary word from God isn't stop? What if the primary word from God is go? What if the primary signal and sign from God is a green light and not just a red light or even a yellow light? What if God, this whole time, is looking at us saying, you got a green light. Go. And what would it look like if we became more aware of the green light, to say, I don't need to question everything. I already know my marching orders. I already know what I'm supposed to be doing. I already know that I'm supposed to be going right now. So we just finished last week a six-week series that we called The Far Country that said, this world is not our true home. And while God has put us here, he wants to be in the world and responding to the world, but not of the world. That means we don't just, we don't just become like everyone else. We don't let this world dictate our identity and our actions, who we are. We act more like thermostats in the world than thermometers in the world. A thermometer says, this is what the temperature is. I'm just going to move according to the temperature. And that's important when you're understanding, is it hot or is it cold or is it, you know, what is it? But we want to be more like thermostats in that we set our own temperature. 
And hopefully then we start to make a difference in the world around us, right? So the difference between thermostat and thermometer is huge. And I think God has called us to be that. So he calls us to say, live here, but keep your eyes set on the far country. I want you to, I want you to know that your home, your true home is elsewhere. And you are aliens, strangers, sojourners, exiles in this world. Engage, but don't lose sight of the real deal. And so if God has called us to engage here, now we're going to turn the corner and spend four weeks on what we're calling mission. So we talk every Sunday uh, at Damascus Road about gospel and community and mission. And I don't know if it helps you, but I, I'm a visual thinker. Uh, if you can give me a picture of something, that helps me to grab it. So when I think of gospel, I think about our vertical relationship. And if I'm using arrows, it's like an up and down arrow. This is the way we connect with God. When we talk about community, I picture arrows pointing in. This is how we connect with each other. Mission flips the arrows and starts to point outward. So if God has called us to live here and engage here but not be of here, He's got to have marching orders, and that's exactly right, that we are called to be in the world but not of it, and we are, we are called to be on mission, to go out into this world and do something. So we're going to spend four weeks on what is it that he's calling us to do. And I, I'll tell you, these won't be an exhaustive four weeks. There is much more to be said about mission than we can cover in four weeks. Today I want to give you an overview uh, that I think comes out of what Jesus prescribed for us and gave to us as kind of a, a guiding map to say, this is what I want you to be about. And then uh, weeks two and three, we're going to step into very practical and in some ways very sticky, maybe turbulent, married uh, with the possibility of um, we're going to knock some heads around uh, if we are called to be in the world and make a difference in the world and engage the world where it's at, we have to recognize that there is uh, tension in our world around race in Madison and in uh, our country and like right in our families. And we need, to, we need to engage with it. Okay, so I want to ask you as we engage for humility and also this, we will not, we will not be afraid. We will step in, and we may not have all the answers. We do not have all the answers, but we will step in, and we will be humble, and we will try and deal with this in a God-honoring, far-country-minded kind of way. And then in week four, we're going to come back uh, to get another picture from the Bible to say, as we wrap up this idea of mission, that God would have us to, to go and to do something. Um, there's another picture from the Bible that I want to open up coming um, from the Old Testament that I think can give some traction to help us discern uh, who God is calling us to be and what he's calling us to do. Okay? Okay? Um, good. Let's pray, and then I want to open up into the book of Acts. Father, we love you. We recognize that you have called us by name. We recognize that you have called us as individuals and as a community to you. And we pray that you would continue to help us set our sights on your kingdom. 
that you would continue to help us find our identity in you and not the world around us, and that you would help us to be uh, to have influence that would uh, that would be like you, that we would imitate you in the world around us. And I pray for today and uh, for these next four weeks that you would continue to grow humility in us and conviction in us, that we would be um, fierce about following you and in engaging in our world with compassion and mercy, imitating you. Father, as we open up your word this morning, I pray that you'd give us a picture, a picture and maybe even a roadmap of what it looks like to live on mission for you and with you. Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Uh, So if you have a Bible, you can open up to Acts. We're going to start right in the beginning of Acts. Luke and Acts are written by the same guy whose name is Luke. Good. You got 100 right now on the test. Okay. So Luke, the Gospel of Luke is all about the life and the ministry and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Who he was, what he did, who he walked with, what he taught, um, miracles he performed, his death, his resurrection, and Acts, Acts is like book two of Luke. It's his second book, and he orders it to say, but that wasn't the end of the story. Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose again, and Acts picks up after he has risen. And uh, we're just going to take a look at the first 11 verses, and then we're actually going to focus in on one verse primarily uh, in Acts to look at marching orders. So the book of Acts starts this way. Luke is writing, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I, I love this. So many things are going on in this. Jesus dies. He's murdered. He comes back to life. And the book of Luke opens by saying he, he spent 40 days with them. I, I often, uh, if I just kind of glaze over it, I think Jesus rose from the dead. And then a little while later, he ascended into heaven. And we miss this 40-day period of time where the risen Jesus with scars in his hand and yet a perfected body so that like death 
Death no longer had grip on him. Spends 40 days teaching and saying, guys, I want to give you a bigger picture. We spent three years together, and now something huge just happened. And I, I want to spend 40 days kind of unpacking this so that you can go and, and carry this on. And they say, I think we get it. Is, is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom? And he's like, no. <laughs> okay, let's, let's keep doing this. It's going to take 40 days. Okay? Because they keep looking at the political power. They, they keep looking at the power of the government and saying, Jesus, would you establish your earthly government? And he says, guys, far kingdom, far country. Okay, let's keep our eyes set on that. And I want to do something that is different and that is so much bigger than what your little eyes are, are trying to envision. Okay, and so he says, no, but. And in verse 8, we're going to talk about the but. Okay, we're going to talk about what Jesus says. He says, no, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So that's, that's our roadmap. Okay? When we say, what do you want us to do? He says, uh, Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And I want to spend this morning unpacking uh, what is in that little verse. So the first power word, the first huge word that comes out to me uh, in this one is the word power. Jesus says, quit thinking about the little kingdom here and now. And I want, I want to... I want to open your eyes up to something greater. And I am talking about power. You will receive power. So we talked last week about uh, Peter and John having a power that was not their own. And all of a sudden they have kind of boldness. And this is in Acts 4. After the power had arrived, after they had received it. And this is the power that Jesus is talking about. This is not something that we do in and of ourselves. This is not something that we do just to to try to be good, religious God followers. Okay? This is something that we receive. This is something that God plants within us. He says, you will receive power. Not like, do good, work this up, get stronger, and then go do powerful stuff. You will receive power. It starts, it starts with us being humble, saying, Jesus, I need something from you. My life is needs to change. I need to come into submission to you. I need, I need a fear of God in my life that says, what, what you think, God, matters. And I submit myself to you. And as we bow, this is, this is incredible to me, uh, kind of the, the engagement. As we bow, as we give up our life, as we kneel, as we submit, we receive power. There's irony there, right? Jesus says, you try and gain the whole world, you lose your soul. But if you give up your lives for my sake, then you gain it. You will receive power. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is kind of one of those weird deals in church where we all believe in the Holy Spirit and we, 
Uh, we like kind of don't know what to do with him. Kind of freaky, kind of like I'm, you start talking about the Holy Spirit and I think like, tongues of fire and weird stuff is happening and uh, I, we can't put him in a box. But I will tell you, we're going to spend, what, part of what I'm excited about is we're going to spend a big series right after mission talking about the Holy Spirit, talking about power, this power that Jesus says we can receive and it can come in us and indwell us and then come out of us. We're going to spend um, weeks and weeks talking about what are very practical ways where the Spirit meets us and engages in our life and how do we meet Him and follow Him and interact with Him on a daily basis. So I cannot wait for this series to be able to talk about the power that Jesus is uh, getting at. Here's an example of this, like we talked about last week. Peter who is constantly kind of stepping out and then getting checked, ends, him, uh, ends with the pinnacle of the Gospels being the arrest and the crucifixion and death of Jesus. Peter is doing what? Is he an example of power? No, he's an example of cowardice. He's an example, I think, of what happens when we try to do this on our own instead of receiving power from the Holy Spirit directly from God. And his life gets transformed. So just after Acts 1.8, when Jesus says, you will receive, stay in Jerusalem, you will receive power, Acts 2 shows the Holy Spirit showing up and getting in Peter. And people are like, whoa, this is freaky. What's going on? I think they're drunk. And Peter seizes the moment because he's received the power and he stands up and he's able to say, here's the history. Here's what's going on. And and here's what you need to do. And they end up, they end the conversation saying, like, what do we do? And he can so clearly and so boldly say, repent, turn around, stop living your own life. Live for Jesus, live with Jesus, repent and be baptized. Get in on this. The spirit will come to you. You can have this gift too, is what he says. And all of a sudden, coward Peter has been transformed into a bold, spirit-empowered Peter. He shares the gospel, and, it, and people respond. And you can see the spirit at work. How about you? Have you ever felt a God-empowering moment in your life? Have you ever felt like you were doing something that you, and you couldn't even almost explain it to say, this is, I, this is, I know what I'm doing, but like God was giving great favor to you and great power to you and saying, this conversation is happening or he's doing something through me that I have no claim on, but I will step into and I'm seeing God at work in me and through me because he empowered this and he gave you power. That's, that's what Jesus is getting at. If you haven't, don't try to manipulate it. Don't try to create it. Don't try to fake it. Maybe your next move is to get on your knees. Maybe your next move is to start asking some questions. Why don't I feel God's power in my life? What have I ever submitted to Jesus Really, have I ever said, I want to lose my life and I want to gain your life? I want to follow you. I want to do life with you, Jesus. And if you haven't, maybe 
God starts working in your life to ask those questions or to have conversations around what that could look like for you. Maybe you don't need those conversations. Maybe you just need to hit your knees. Maybe you need to, to just give up the grip that you have on your life and say, Jesus, I submit to you. I, I, I want you. And maybe that's the very first time that he has permission to, to fill you with a power that's out of this world, that's far country kind of stuff. And then he says, he says, you will receive power and you will be my what? My witnesses. And this is where I think it can start to get a little bit practical. Okay? So if we, if we are walking with Jesus, if we're empowered by him, he says, now I want you to do this. I want you to be my witnesses. And I think uh, witnesses can be broken up really um, really basically, for me, it helps me understand. So a witness first is somebody who sees, right? Somebody who witnesses something, somebody who sees something. There's a car accident, and I witness it. I looked at it. I experienced it. I see it, and then a witness will do what? Will tell about it, okay? They will, they will express what they have seen, what they have experienced. So I want to start and break those two up. If Jesus calls us to be witnesses, that we would be people who would see and who would tell. So the book of Acts starts by opening up in the verse, first chapter about saying they witnessed Jesus. They saw him alive for 40 days. They, spent, they had spent the three years with him, and now they spent these 40 days with him, and he's right there, and they're experiencing, and he says, you'll... You will be my witnesses. You are the ones who have seen me, who have experienced me, and I want, I want that for you. One of my favorite mission organizations is a, mission, uh, a group called Mission Discovery, and their, their deal, their main idea is we want to discover what God is doing in the world and join him in it. So their request is, God, will you help us see before they get off on their horses and they go and they save the world and they go and they do incredible things, they say, we don't want to do anything without seeing you first. We want to see you. We want to experience you. So we're going to go places and we're going to say, is God doing something here? What is he doing? And could we join in him? And I think it gets really exciting when you start looking through that lens. God, will you help me see you? Will you help me see you? Will you give me an experience? And it's not just for me, but it's so that I could discern what you're doing and how I could meet you there. I need to experience Jesus before I can tell about him, right? If I don't experience Jesus, if I don't personally see Jesus, but I can win an argument, that's just hollow. That just comes off as intellectual impressiveness that actually impresses no one, right? I need to experience and see Jesus. And then he says, I want to tell. Here are the, there are a couple different ways that I think we can tell about Jesus. Um, last week we looked at Peter and John about how they had a man who had been lame for 40 years and now he's healed and he's dancing around, right? And they have bold words. And this combination of uh, action in life 
and words uh, speaking toward Jesus was this incredible combination. So under tell, I would actually change it to serve and share. And this is, this is the word and deed combo. So if I see Jesus, now I want to start telling about Jesus, and I want to do it with both my actions, my life, and my words. I don't want to erase one or the other. Sometimes I think people focus um, almost exclusively on one or the other. I just want to live my life following Jesus, doing good things, and people will see that. And I never want to impose telling people about Jesus because they, I just want them to see it in my life. And I think that's a, a false picture of what it looks like to be a witness to Jesus and to tell about him. But on the other hand, I don't think we can just go use our words and share about Jesus and share about Jesus and share about Jesus without having a life that is actually doing it and without offering um, help along the way. And so for me, I know this is simple, but for me, this really helps get clear around what we're called to do. We're called to see Jesus and we're called to serve the world around us and we're called to share Jesus with the world around us. Does that make sense? Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. If we see, if we see uh, areas where we can help, Jesus calls us to help. If we see things that should not be, Jesus calls us to serve. This is not something that we get a savior complex about. We don't save the world. A fireman... Uh, when they run into a building and they're on the news afterward and like, man, you're a hero. You saved all these people. What do, they, what do they often say? I'm no hero. I'm just doing what anybody in my position would do. And we recognize, we recognize, first, this power doesn't even come from us. The vision doesn't even come from us. We see God at work and we, we are invited to get involved. And we're charged to get involved. We recognize this is, if, if advances are made, this is coming from God. But we want to fully cooperate. We want to be engaged around that. So stuff like, even like parking cars at an event, little lowly deals, or making sandwiches to, to give away to people, helping people with homework, giving people gas money, being a voice to the voiceless, service projects, adoption, I mean, you could make a list, books and books long, of ways that we can serve in this world. In the process, here's the cool deal. In the process of serving, what do you often get also? You get to see more of God. Like, I put myself out there to serve, and I see him at work. And so this isn't just like a, a one, two, three step. This is like all of these get to happen at the same time, I'm seeing God, and so I serve, and I'm sharing about him, and I get to see more of him, and this is, it just grows. And then I share. I think to add a life of service and then start to, to tell people, again, not just to win an argument, but to say, let me tell you about Jesus in my life. And the more I get to know you, I'm, I'm wondering... I'm wondering if this fits you too. I'm wondering if God is doing something in your life. I can tell you about what he's done in my life. And if I think it's good to be intellectual. 
it's good to know what you believe. But that has to translate through your heart and through your life when we engage with other people. You have to have something to say that's credible. But you have to have something going on in you that says this is also personal going on. And so uh, we see Jesus at work. We serve. We look for ways, things that where he is active, and we get involved serving people around us. And, and we seize opportunities to tell people about what Jesus is doing in us and in the world around us. This is not to beat people up. This is to, to paint a picture and to offer an invitation to what Jesus could do in their life and the power. So he says, uh, this is the what I want you to do. This is the how you're going to do it. You will be my witnesses because you've received power. And then Jesus does this cool thing where he gives them an action roadmap. And he says, I want you to do it. He says, where or who, maybe, too. And he says, there's uh, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and um, everywhere else. Okay? And, and he's identifying four different physical places. So where are they when they're having this conversation? They're in Jerusalem. And he says, I want you to stay here until you receive the power. Stay right here. And then when you receive the power, where do you start? Right where you are. You start right where you are. And then once you've, once you've been my witnesses here in Jerusalem, then where do you go? Judea and Samaria it's like the next circle, the next layer out of Jerusalem. Then I want you to start branching out, and I want you to share right there. And then, everywhere else. He may have been talking specifically about Rome and the, you know, the known world at the time, but it's clear, it's like, this doesn't end until the whole world has seen this. Now, what's this? This is an outline for the book of Acts. If you read the book of Acts, you can break it down into, okay, where are they being his witnesses in Jerusalem? And now it shifts, actually, into a, um, Luke describing how they, how they were witnesses in Judea and Samaria, and then Paul's missionary journeys and how they keep branching out to the end of the earth. It's an outline for the book of Acts. And he says, start where you are, right here. Now, the cool thing in this next circle is Judea and Samaria are very different places. Judea is this next surrounding area. People like them. People similar to them. So I, I want you to go out and I want you to share with people. I want you to tell of what you've seen and serve uh, in this next layer of people with people like you. Samaria, not like you. You don't like them even. Okay, Where they were... Uh, Jews and Samaritans were very, very different. Jews would actually call Samaritans like half-breeds because of, uh, they had followed God at one point and then 
because of uh, the exile, they had been scattered, and so they followed God, but they had this different version of following God, and so it was like this really nasty uh, division between the two of them. It says, you can't go around Samaria. You can't forget about Samaria. When Jesus is walking uh, in John 4, he goes right through Samaria and he sits down at a well and he has this conversation with a Samaritan woman and he models what he's calling them and us to, saying, I will go into Samaria and I will meet people where they are and I will talk about what I'm doing and I will invite people into it. These are people who are racially, ethnically, culturally different. And so in the same way that I think we could say, okay, this was for them first, but we need to apply what's going on here. Say we start where we are. We start where we are. And you can think where we are locally, like geographically. We are South Central Madison on South Park Street. It's part of the reason we're partnering with Wright Middle School because they are where we are here at Park Street in our campus. Verona, our West Campus, is having the same kind of conversation to say, we totally support the Wright Middle School partnership and we want to look at engaging in the Verona area because it's where we are. Damascus Road is in two locations. Okay, but there's more. Like we have, a, we have a neighborhood here that we need to engage to start looking at saying, how can, we, how can we serve our neighborhood and how can we share about Jesus? And they go hand in hand. You could say, right where I am starts with home, starts with my people. How am I serving my people? How am I serving my family and my friends and my coworkers? Where is my Jerusalem? And it's wherever you are. And then you, you get into Judea and you say, Okay, where am I not yet, but I could be intentional about going places where, where I find people who are similar to me. And I could be intentional about uh, kind of broadening my horizon and serving and sharing there. I want to see what God is doing there, and I want to serve, and I want to share. And then we get to Samaria, and that's where I say that we're going to take the next two weeks. And we're going we're gonna to wade in. Because our, we have created a Samaria country. And it is not entirely like uh, what happened in the book of Acts. And they're not mirror images. But I will say, or I, I, maybe I'll ask you this. Do you feel that we are living in a state of division uh, with people who are culturally different from us, ethnically, racially different? Do you recognize that? And are we called to step into that? Yes. yes. Do we know how to do it? Maybe not. So the first deal we have to say is, God, will you help me see? God, will you help me see? Will you make me more intelligent? I will be honest with you and let you know the last year, and it's even speeding up now in my own personal life, I have been on a crash course to understand racial division here in Madison and in our country and our country's history. And I'm, I'm continuing to learn. Dr. Perry is going to be here in two weeks to preach. And he's become a personal mentor of mine to say, you are a strong 
black leader. Will you teach me? And I want you to know that I'm submitting to his leadership in my life, and I'm learning from him and all kinds of other sources because it's important. And I can't stand up here and tell you that I know like everything that we need to do as a church. But I will say it's important, and I will say we need to step into our own Samaria and recognize uh, we have a mess. Some of it is on our own hands, and we need to recognize it, and we need to do something about it. I do, re- I do think it requires great humility, and I do think it requires great conviction. It requires seeing and serving and sharing Okay? And then the ends of the earth. They say, like, he's put us here, and we, we want to reach uh, people in the surrounding areas, people who are like us and people who are different, but we don't stop there. We set our sides on the world. We say, we, where, God, are you doing things, and how could we be involved? And so this opens up the conversation of cultural missions. I think... I think churches can get super really excited about it and fail to do it right here. But I also think churches can err on the, well, we, we better put all of our energy into right here and not do this. And I think Jesus says, I want you to do all four. Maybe not, maybe not in order, but I want you to be growing in all four of those areas. And I want you to put energy and emphasis on being my witnesses kind of in an ever-expanding way. At Damascus Road, uh, one of the things I love is we are seeking to grow in generosity. We're seeking to grow in our giving. And I will always push you to grow in your generosity. Individually, as a family, I want you to stretch yourself to be generous. I want you to be tithing here. I want you to be looking for opportunities to give and uh, to be generous outside of here because we're on mission, because we need to do things, and we can't do things. Uh, it requires money, right? We need, to, we need to add money to our words if we really mean it. And so I'll push you to be generous in the same way that I receive push myself to be generous. I am not naturally generous. I'll confess that to you. But I love the accountability around it that we give because God first gave, that we are generous because God is generous. And so we, a few years ago, we started giving, or you started, I wasn't a part of we yet, okay? You, you started giving 10% to say, we've got to get out of here. We've got to stop just using our money for us, and we've got to start giving. And the following year, it said, we want to grow in our giving, and we're going to move to 11%. And this year, we're doing 12%. Grow in our generosity. And, and little baby steps is a big deal. And we want to continue to grow. And I would, I'd, I'd give you that challenge as well personally. How, how are you growing in generosity? In our own Jerusalem at Damascus Road, we talked about uh, the partnership with Wright Middle School. And I'll let you know in two weeks when Dr. Perry comes, I think we're looking at having a couple representatives from Wright School who will be here and who will get to talk about Wright Middle School. And I, I want us to welcome them so good, okay? So good. Be eloquent, just like that. 
wrap around them, find out what they're doing, listen to them. Because uh, Justin and I spent a Tuesday morning shadowing Dr. Angie Crawford, the principal over there, and what they're doing at Wright Middle School is impressive. The culture that they are building around learning, and she calls all of the students scholars, and she sets a high bar, and her staff and faculty are doing great, great things, and we get to, we get to help support them in that. If, if you walk into Wright Middle School, right there, as you, uh, op- as you get into the main uh, entry area, there's a kind of a trophy case, and in there there's a big poster saying, thank you partners. Damascus Road Church is up there, and they're saying thank you. So they recognize us, and we're growing in ways of partnership. They're our Jerusalem. We give to the River Food Pantry, and we give to CareNet. Do you know, I don't know if we ever announced it, we did the baby bottle campaign three times more than we've ever done this year. Okay? That's growing, growing in generosity and ways that we can look to say, what is right here that we could be engaged in? The CareNet is doing a good job, and we want to we blow that up. We want to say, okay, baby bottles is a good deal. How can we partner with you? Are there ways that we could serve you uh, beyond that? At West, they're really good at sharing meals with each other. That, like, if a baby is born, uh, they'll just they'll set up a meal train and they'll start to like just show up at each other's houses. And they started asking the question: What if we took this meal train concept and instead of doing community train, we started to do mission meal train? And so, if my neighbor is having a baby, Damascus Road starts a meal train for them. If we have a coworker that's going through something, Damascus Road just asks permission to show up at their door with meals. And I love that because it's taking something that we're good at and moving out with it on purpose, and we're serving, okay? And it totally fits what we're talking about in our Yeah, We're a part of the Converge network, and Converge is really huge on church planting. And so I'll meet uh, every month or a couple months with a lead team uh, among uh, the southwest region here in Converge. And we talk about church planters. And right now, there are two church planters that are getting ready to plant churches. One is in Edgerton, Luke and Allison. I'm looking forward to you guys meeting them at some point. And then I've talked with you about a deaf church planter who is coming to Madison who will start meeting right down the road in the next year. Cassell Grice and uh, his wife, and just just a cool deal. I want to have both of those couples here to say, this is kind of our, our way that we could get involved in what's going on in our Judea and uh, a little bit into our Samaria. We engage this way. And Samaria, again, this is about crossing social borders, and we need to, we need to face into it. With the ends of the earth... Uh, cross-cultural missions. So we're in two weeks when we have the Operation Christmas Child. This is end-of-the-earth kind of stuff that we're doing, and we're engaging in it. And you can stop at the table today and pick up tags and buy things to say, I, I want to be on mission. I want to be generous. And we need, we need to fill those shoeboxes. Because kids don't just get a shoebox. They get, they get word and action around who Jesus is. Okay, And it's a way that we can... St- we can serve and share, and in the process, see what God is doing. Josh Montague, uh, with Training Leaders International, goes out 
and trains leaders at the end of the earth on how we can bring Jesus to them. Uh, the Gomez family was here uh, this summer talking about the work that they're doing in Puebla. And we were talking about how can we partner with you? How can we jump in and maybe even come and send teams? Maybe this would be something even that our students could engage with, our students and families to say, let's go to Mexico and serve at the orphanage and serve the Gomez family as they serve. And in serving, we're going to see. And serving may even pave a road that we can share, right? And I'm dreaming now even of... um, partnership in Senegal, in West Africa. How, so how could a small church like Damascus Road, could, could we get involved in Africa even? And the answer to me is yes. And we're not going to go save the world, but we can engage. We can do something. Jesus says, you will receive power, and you will be my witnesses, and you will do it in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. Uh, end of the earth. So we have work to do. Are you in? Yeah. I, I can't wait as we, as we continue kind of sharpening the way we engage in this world. So verse 10 and 11 in Acts 1 say, And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. You know what they're doing? Hey, you just got a green light. Why are you standing here? That was pretty awesome. Never seen anything like that before. Dude just floated up and went to heaven. Okay? But don't forget what he told you to do. You got a green light. So may we see Jesus. May we experience him in such a way that our lives are changed. May we commit ourselves to serving others as we follow Jesus. And may we seize the moments that God gives us to share with others what God is doing in our life and maybe what he's trying to do in theirs. May we recognize our green light and live on mission. We're going to move into a time of response. And in the response, uh, we do communion every week, and I want you to be invited to kind of prayer. There are some rows of chairs that are turned back around. If if you just need to pray with somebody to say, I I need to talk or I need to vent or I need to confess or I just, I just need you to pray over me and I can't even tell you what's going on, but just start praying. It, uh, that's in the back of the room there. Um, and we're going to enter into a time, again, uh, or still, of worship. Worship in song now instead of just worship in the word, okay? And I want you to engage. Service isn't over. In communion, we recognize Jesus. We say he came And he lived, and he had this last supper with his disciples. The Bible says that at this last supper, Jesus picked up the bread. They were celebrating Passover, and he broke it. So that's why we do like flat little crackers, because it represents the the Passover unleavened bread. Uh, And he took it, and he broke it, and he gave thanks. And he said, like, this is my body. What I'm about to do, 
for you. And I want you to do this as a way to remember me until I come back. Do this to remember what I'm doing for you. And he picks up the cup and the wine um, and he, he gives thanks for it and he says, this, this, this is the blood of the new covenant. You've been working, uh, you've been working to fulfill a covenant that you can never fulfill. And I'm doing it for you. I'm going to fulfill this covenant. And I'm, I'm paving a way for you to meet intimately with God. And so communion is this opportunity to say, I remember what you did. And I, and I receive again this invitation to follow you straight to God. As you take communion this morning, I'd have you just kind of pray this prayer of God. Help me see you. I want to see the green light. Let me remember you so that I can be sent by you. That that would be our anthem as a church. Let's pray. Jesus, we want what you offer want power, your power. We want you to invade our lives. Sometimes I think that takes confession and it takes giving up our own will and saying you can have it all. We know that you're here. And so we don't just invite you into this space, but we, we want to give you all the time all the time greater invitation into our hearts would you fill us in the secrets and the shadows would you help us to give those to you so that we submit to you we live in a righteous respect kind of fear of you not one that causes us to be afraid but one that causes us to listen to you would you fill us with your power would you help us to see you so we can serve and we can share, that we could be your witnesses in this world. We help us to do it right where we are and stepping into unknown waters and all the way around the world. Jesus, we pray in your name.